and I was just about to open. I had just a few things left to, I guess, finish on the building and a few things left to pay for, and the 2008 crash of October happened where all the credit was cut off. And so I was in the middle of getting an SBA loan, which all just oh. fell apart. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 120 of the Commando Voice. Today I speak with the owner of Picnic Pantry and Parlor. Please welcome Tracy Smith. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Anyways, I don't know how you guys like that. I love the end of that intro. Um, I get to listen to it a lot. So, <laughs> Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode. Um, hope, hope your week is going well. Uh, this episode is going to be releasing uh, beginning of Thanksgiving week. So uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Uh, hope you guys are having a good week. And um, yeah, hope you guys uh, uh, eat lots of turkey and whatever you do for your Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know if most people, I don't know if everyone likes turkey, if nobody likes turkey, or if it's a you know, normal mix or whatever, but um, I'm not a huge fan of turkey. I feel like that's probably sacrilegious to say about Thanksgiving. Um, I always prefer everything besides that, so um, that's just me. So anyways, please don't, don't quit the pod, listening to the podcast because of that. <laughs> anyways, um, today I got to speak with Tracy Smith. And uh, she has done, she's owned multiple businesses, um, started out taking over family business. Uh, eventually, she sold that and then started another uh, restaurant. Um, and after running that for uh, quite a while and working way too many hours a week, uh, decided that she needed to give herself a break from that. Uh, and then eventually, she started the picnic pantry uh, in Stanwood. Um, so you kind of, you'll get to hear her whole story of how she got here and, um, but amazing woman. She's done so much. Uh, she just has no fear of just putting her nose to the grindstone and just working through whatever comes her way. Um, some of the, the problems that she's had to solve, uh, for her business, both getting started and in the business. Um, she's just done it through sheer willpower. And, um, uh, so Awesome, awesome interview. Uh, again, just so much respect for this gal for what she's accomplished. Uh, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Tracy Smith. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. Today, I'm here with the founder of Picnic Pantry. Welcome to the podcast, Tracy Smith. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. We finally get to connect on this because we've been trying for about a year, but, you know, schedules and everything. Everybody's busy. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Tracy. Uh, I was born and raised in Spokane, a little town nine mile falls outside of Spokane. Mm. I was raised in the country, and so it's, I'm kind of a country girl at heart. Um, from there, I opened, well, w purchased my mother's uh, embroidery business, and so I did okay. that for numerous years. Uh, after that, I moved to San Diego and Lived there for about 11 or 12 years and did some businesses down there and, and uh, moved back to my home state here about mm, seven, eight years ago, I think. Okay. 
Nice. So you've kind of been all over the place and on the West Coast. West Coast, yes. for sure. Nice. Very cool. Um, so you went to school outside of uh, Spokane. Um, is that you lived there until you graduated high school then? Yes, I grew up in uh, Nine Mile Falls, went to elementary and middle school there, and then went to Mead High School in Spokane because our, we didn't have a high school in okay. Nine Mile. So. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, went to college after that. I uh, played soccer a year at Whitworth College. It was a college back then. Okay. And, um, and then was on the 10-year college plan. So I went here and there and then finally graduated from Eastern 10 years later. Okay. What was your, going into college, what was kind of your focus starting out? Well, I originally went to become a teacher. Okay. So I got about two years into that program at Eastern and just realized that, um, I guess, the bureaucracy of teaching and all the rules of what I felt would help a, a student versus what they allowed us to do as, yeah. a, as an educator. Um, and so I figured out pretty quickly that wasn't the role I wanted to take. Okay. And, uh, and by then I was running my, my business. It was my business at that point. And um, so I just kind of continued on in accounting, math, business, that kind of classes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, after you decided not to be a teacher then, did you just... Uh, take a bunch of classes and then eventually you look back and you realize, oh, look, we have enough credits to graduate. Or did you kind of follow a path? Well, I, I had to be guided because there was, I was running a business working about 80 hours a week and um, taking night classes and trying to fit everything in. And so there was a time when I was able to, to take a course, I believe it was called a Levita, and I had to write a well, gosh, it was several hundred pages and for for my life experience and business experience, and I got a bunch of credits for it. Wow. So I did have to be strategic about how I could get my credits and where they fit in in yeah. order to graduate. But yeah, it was okay. a pretty neat program that they had for nice. older students. Okay, right. cool. So what did you end up graduating with then? Oh, gosh, I think I got a liberal studies degree with a math emphasis in math business, business okay. math, something like that. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So for the embroidery business then, um, when you took that over from your mom, was that, or mom, right? Mm -hmm. Was that yes. something that she had been doing for a long time? So I was a third generation owner. My grandmother and grandfather started it in 1951. Wow. And my mom and her sister purchased it in the 70s, and then I purchased it from her in 94. Okay. Yeah, it was a really neat little business. Nice. Mm -hmm. So what did you guys, I, I understand embroidery, but what did you guys specialize in as far as overall? Oh, court, at that time, that was in the late 80s and 90s that I got into it full time. And we were doing a lot of corporate. There was, you know, everybody was wearing a logoed shirt. So we were doing logoed shirts for oh, AT&T and Verizon and all the grocery stores and really some big companies. Um, one of my most famous customers was Evil Knievel. Okay, very yeah, cool. It was pretty cool. Nice. Um, so when you were um, wrapping up, did you sell that business on to someone else? Or? Yes, I sold it to a competitor in Spokane, um, and then I consulted with them for a few years and then uh, ended up reopening my own embroidery company that I outsourced to. So I, I kept doing that, uh, did kind of promotional products and focused on golf uh, tournaments. Okay. Golf, logoed golf balls, logoed tees, logoed shirts, that kind of thing yeah. after that. Yeah. Nice. So when you were deciding to sell the business was it something like, were you just wanting a change or what was kind of the reasoning? It was hard yeah. <laughs> and it was very competitive. Um, I had a 12 head embroidery machine, a six head embroidery machine and a two head embroidery machine and we ran 24 seven. And so, and I was in my twenties and wow. so it was really 
really hard work and very competitive, very hard to make a good living. Yeah. Um, and so when the opportunity came, actually a competitor approached me and yeah. said, we're interested in your business. So it was just a good opportunity to, to try something else. Yeah. Yeah. So was it basically just you doing the work or did you have a couple other people helping? I had 16 employees. Okay. Yeah. So we had three shifts and, and I just managed everything. I did all the sales and all the management, but I um, wow. had people running the machines. Which, That's a lot of people yeah. to keep going and uh, on top of everything else that Correct. comes along with the business. Definitely. It was challenging for sure. Yeah. Okay. So then uh, what prompted the move then? Oh gosh, the weather. I was playing a lot of golf at that time. And in Spokane, you can only play golf, I don't know, four or five months a year probably. And so I just, um, I had never left because right out of high school, I knew I was going to take over my mom's business. And so I just wanted to go somewhere where I could play golf, get in the sun and try something new. And because I had the kind of traveling remote embroidery business, I was able to take it down there and still make a little bit of income while I built something in San Diego. Okay. So yeah. what did you end up building in San Diego then? Uh, I had a wine bar, a really super innovative, oh, unique nice. wine bar and restaurant in downtown San Diego, um, just outside North Park where the uh, Balboa Park is. Um, and it really took off. It was uh, it had self-serve wine machines from Italy. Wow. It was super cool, really uh, uh, just very unique. I was the first person in Southern California to have the machines and only the second on the West coast to have them. Wow. Yeah. They were pretty cool. That's awesome. How is How does that work? Cause like, um, I guess they do have like, t- uh, self pour taps for beers and stuff like that mm-hmm. now. Um, but like from a, yeah, I was just trying to, like, trying to think how that works from a like liquor license right. perspective. It was very challenging. I had to go to the liquor board since I was the first in that area to do it. Yeah. And really, uh, it was a lot of red tape to get, to prove to them that people weren't going to stand at the machines and get drunk. <laughs> um, so we had to monitor how much they poured. They actually purchased a tasting card and that card would have a certain amount of money on it and they were okay. only allowed 10 pours. Okay. And so, um... It was it was very it was the best date spot. It was the number one wine bar in San Diego for years. Wow! And it was very ambient, romantic, and um, kind of a good first date place because you could stand around, taste wine, talk about wine, and it was really fun. I nice. miss it. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into that? Because you were been working in the embroidery business for so long, and then you moved to uh, California. How did you g- get into that? Oh, I was well. Uh, I started doing consulting for a business uh, venture capital company in California that um, was taking to market a lawn and garden product. Okay. So I was helping them take this product to market nationwide, and I was actually at a trade show in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I stepped out for lunch and walked into this place that had these machines in there, and I, it was love at first sight. <laughs> so eight months later, I b- bought the machines and moved on. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it, everything was built around those machines then? Yes, for sure, because they were just so unique. And I, I don't think I would have survived without having something that unique. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then as you were kind of getting ready for that then, you decided you wanted to buy the machines. But, I mean, uh, what? I guess what uh, time frame are we in right now, like years? So this was a fun time. This was 2008. Oh, okay. Yeah, so great yeah it was super fun. So, um, yeah, I, per- I placed my order for the machines in, I believe... April, maybe, um, signed my lease in May and then worked until October on the biz, on the, on the building. I had to dig out concrete and, and <clears throat> chop plaster off of brick walls. The brick walls were from the early 1900s. So I wanted to expose them. Wow. Um, and I just did it all myself and worked hard to get it done. And, uh, the machines had to be ordered from Italy. So they were eight months out. Okay. Um, and I was just about 
to open. I had just a few things left to, I guess, finish on the building and a few things left to pay for. And the 2008 crash of October happened where all the credit was cut off. And so I was in the middle of getting an SBA loan, which all just oh. fell apart. So it, it was super challenging. And I had to go to friends and family at that point just to get the doors open. And it, it just took off from there, thankfully. But it was a very difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, just contrasting that to right now where it feels like they're trying to throw money out the door. Right. It was such a different, uh, it it was so different then. There was no help. Right. It's, it's been so much easier this time around. Yes. Well, and I'm sure um, uh, interest rates at that time were much higher. Yes. All (laughs) of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Wow. So um, to get prepared for all that then, had you prior to this been, um, like heavy into wine and stuff like that? Uh, I always have been loved food and wine, foodie and into wine. Um, I guess for me, I've just more along the lines of been a a serial entrepreneur is how I would consider myself. And, um, I don't think it matters the product that you're selling. Um, Mm -hmm. it's just the customer service that goes along with it. Yeah. And so I feel like if you educate yourself enough about the product and then just serve it with a smile, it can be successful, work hard. Um, so, it was more the idea of the machines that I knew would sell itself rather than my knowledge of wine. Yeah. Although I did put myself through wine schools and did study a lot of studying, which meant drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the fun part of the job for sure. Yeah. Very cool. So then, um, you opened this, were you the one running the, like on the food and everything as well? I was the cook, the chef, the head chef of the restaurant. Um, so, yeah, for a while it could be run completely by me, waiting on the customers. It was a small space, about 1,200 square feet. Okay. Um, and so I, yeah, I could run the place by myself up until the point where it got real busy. You know, there'd be nights where we'd have 200 people in there, and it was just <laughs> insanity. So wow. There, were, there was a time when I probably had 10 employees. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So what what happened then? Like, you guys, you were running this. I mean, again, it sounds like you were probably working seven days a week, just yes. keeping it going. Um, is Just taking a step back real quick, is that something like through your mom, your, your parents and stuff, was that something that just kind of was like taught in your family? Like you just continually work hard and you just never stop? I think, yeah, both, both my parents are very different in their approach to business, their approach to life. Um, I also, I think being, I, I played every sport available in high school. And so all the coaches and the camps and the different things that I went to really taught me discipline and work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, just just keep trying. My motto has always been failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. So none of my businesses have ever failed and hopefully knock on wood, <laughs> never will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just work, work, work. And I think a lot of people, particularly particularly in the wine and restaurant bar business, they buy this as a hobby and they think they're going to sit on the other side of the bar and enjoy drinking with their friends and having a good time. And it's not that it's the hardest work I've ever done. Yeah. Um, I was working a hundred hours a week and I was beyond exhausted. And so that's, that's when I decided to come back to the Northwest Yeah. and that, and I did that. I had the restaurant uh, for about 10 years, but I came back to the Northwest about seven years into owning it. Okay. And ran it from up here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I okay. hired a good manager, went down once a month for a week to manage it, and uh, until I got to the point where I could sell it. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I One of the things, you know, I've, through talking with different businesses, um, looking at businesses and things like that, restaurant and any food service that is uh, like 
ser- serve to order or any of that side, like, just blows me away. The amount of energy and work that goes into those types of businesses. No question. Um, Physically demanding as well. Yeah. 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 On top of, like... So, like, there's the, the whole operations of the business itself, which is complex and difficult to manage and operate. And then you have all the normal stuff of businesses, you know, the admin side that sure. you have to somehow get done right. at some point. Right. Yeah. It, there's, it's, it's morning till night. I mean, my day started at 7 in the morning and ended at 2 a.m. Wow. And they were crazy yep. <laughs> all day. So, you've, um, when you came around to the point where you could sell that then... Um, was that were you were you kind of working toward that goal like just waiting until you were able to get to that size? Yes, uh, yes, <clears throat> it was always um, an option uh, for me to sell the business, build it until I could sell it. Um, again, I got extremely lucky, and and one of my customers approached me, um, and you know the deal went through within a few months. And wow, yeah, it was very stressful, of course. And I it was a corporation, so I sold the corporation, and that yep. just had more detail to it as well yeah um but but i feel very fortunate that it turned out the way it did yeah well and that's that's impressive for a business sale because like i mean working through those there's just so many things to get through correct a lot but yeah it all worked out thankfully nice. yeah cool so then um after you sold that business what was kind of your plan moving from there so at the same time that i was selling that business i was at the time, I was living in Kirkland, and I was looking to buy a home, and uh, my real estate agent, because we couldn't find a home in that area at mm-hmm. my price range, uh, suggested Camino Island, so she brought me up here, and I fell in love with every home we looked at in the <laughs> area, and I'd never heard of Camino Island, and um, so I purchased a home up here. I was in the process of selling my restaurant in San Diego, and um, I had to wait three months uh it was part of the sales agreement, and so I couldn't work for three months. So I got to play a lot of golf, meet a lot of people, really immerse myself in the community. And then once those three months were up and the, and the sale was final, um, it was kind of like, wow, now what am I going to do? <laughs> and uh, so that's when I really started looking around of, uh, as to what this community needed and yeah. how I could participate in this community. Yeah. What, what is the, um, I guess, what was the reasoning and stuff behind the three, no work three month clause? Um, he needed to make sure that everything that I had told him was true about okay. my transition was actually true. Mm-hmm. And so that it actually had customers, that all the equipment worked, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. so it was a, an escape clause for him essentially in case I had misrepresented myself. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, in your kind of researching and looking around then, um, how did you come upon uh, like the space in Stanwood and, and how did that idea kind of come? Well, oddly enough, uh, a friend of mine in Kirkland was looking at starting some sort of a restaurant in Stanwood and she was looking and I, I of course, was still in complete exhaustion mode from running the wine bar and um, was just kind of helping her come up with something and uh, looking at different spaces and and when the time came to sign the lease, after I had found something I thought would be perfect for her, um, she didn't want to do it. And so I thought, wow, I guess I could do it. So uh, she wanted to do a restaurant, but when I really started looking around, there were no kitchen shops around here. There was no place to have a glass of wine, like for ladies to go out, yeah. and, and guys too, but I really, ladies to go to a comfortable, quiet environment and have a glass of wine, there was nothing like that around here. Yeah, And so I my initial um, plan was to always have a little wine bar and then a, a kitchen shop. Mm. And it's just morphed from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So <clears throat> when you were kind of planning to start this one then, 
Um, was there something, were you looking at this like, I want to make this, build this differently than I had in other businesses? I think this environment, the Stanwood Camino environment, makes it different. Um, small town, uh, a small amount of people were not on a, in a busy area. You know, you actually have to get off the freeway and purposefully come this way. Yeah. Um, so all of those things made it a different business for me from where I had been in the past. Um, and additionally, I didn't know the clientele well because I was new to the area. Yeah. And so this was all happening in 2017. So I moved to the area in 2017. I sold my business in 2017. I'm starting a new business in 2017. <laughs> and I, you know, quite frankly, didn't know a lot about the community yet. And um, just in my research of talking to people and talking to businesses and talking to people about what the needs were of this community is, is kind of how I decided to jump in and kind of thought, well, I don't have a lot to risk that, you know, the rents are lower here. Yeah. I'm um, sure that was, that yeah. was probably nice looking yeah. at those. <laughs> oh yeah. I have three times the space now and, and for a lot less money. So <laughs> definitely Very cool. Yeah. Nice. So then, um, what was it getting started? How did you come up with the name? Oh, I'm not sure. Thinking back, a lot's happened between now and then. Um, yep. but I think, uh, I wanted something that was pantry-esque, you know, something that uh, was kitchen-related, mm-hmm. um, and that was unique and catchy. Um, the picnic pantry and parlor, the parlor part with the French spelling is what I wanted the wine bar to be. Okay. Um, just something where you would sit and have a cup of tea or a cup of wine and and just be very comfortable and cozy. Um, and so... Uh, also finding things online that you could get the dot com for was important to me. So, yes. uh, that, that's probably honestly how the picnic pantry came about. Yeah. Nice. So, um, then as you were starting to plan out this business, then, um, what were the things, uh, were there specific things that you wanted to bring in that, you know, you've mentioned the kitchen gadgets things. Um, what was kind of the, I guess, uniqueness aspects of the things that you wanted to bring in? I think that it's that's still hard. I still am challenged with that because there are there are so many unique items, as you know. Um, you could bring in just a gazillion unique items, um, yeah. but then you got you've got people that come in. They want the whisk that their grandmother had, right? Or the whisk that they've always used, or the spatula that has you know a black handle and a red scoop. I mean, it's just so hard. And so I have rows and rows and rows of whisks and spatulas, and I always seem to be short the one that somebody's looking for. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I try when people come in and ask for a certain item, I try to go find it and get it for them, or at least accommodate it if it's asked for several times. Um, I kind of let the customer guide me yeah. um, into how unique I can get and yet how ordinary some of the things are that I need to carry you know people yeah. just need sometimes the basic kitchen utensils mm-hmm. so I try to carry a little bit of both yeah yeah I would say there's definitely times where um you know think about in the kitchen where you either get like that wooden spoon that just works perfectly for whatever or um yeah the spatula just works perfectly and I'm always afraid, like, what if this breaks? I'm like, I don't remember where we got this thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so they come, you can come to my store and I will have a lot of spatulas. Whether Perfect. or not I'll have that one, I'm not, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's fun. Nice. So um, so in that, with the kitchen gadget stuff, is there a favorite kitchen gadget that you have in the store that like you just love? Uh, the Fisky is one of my favorites. It's a fork and a whisk. Um, 
it just beats cream cheese really well, and then it scoops it too. So, you know, whisks don't scoop. So to yeah. have something strong enough to whisk something heavy yeah. and scoop. Um, another one is the the chopper, and it's a little, it's got four uh, cross, I guess, pieces on it. And it chops up your ground beef or ground chicken or whatever in your pan while you're cooking it. Oh, okay. So that's one of my favorite tools. Um, I have these really cute little Moroccan glasses, hand-blown, that I really like. Nice. Perfect for wine. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. Um, what What are some of your favorite wines? Oh, gosh. Um, y- you know, m- my slogan is that uh, life's too short to drink the same wine twice. Okay. And so I love to experience different wines. I drink wines from all over the world. It really depends on what I'm eating it with, what the weather's like, um, but my go-tos would probably be, be a French rosé. Okay. Um, I also love a good Syrah, a meaty, gamey Syrah, often out of, again, France. Um, Washington does a good job on Syrahs. Mm-hmm. Um, I do miss my California wines. There's, they're a little bit tougher to get up here in this area. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Nice. Very cool. Um, then, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, obviously, the COVID and everything happened. What was that, as we were kind of going into that, what was that like for you then? Oh, super scary. Yeah, it, in so many ways, you know, for your, your own health and safety, the mm-hmm. health and safety of your friends and family. But um, from my business perspective, I just honestly didn't know what to do, you know. And um, because my motto is failure is not an option, um, I think I stayed home one day and was depressed and decided that can't happen anymore. So got up and went to work and started selling stuff on Facebook and via text and email and like we all did, you know, yeah. and did a lot of curbside pickup, a lot of door drops, um, and just really communicated with my customers, um, to try to make it work. But yeah, very, very stressful. Yeah. How did that compare to what, uh, 2008 when you were opening, uh, the wine bar? Um, Oh, it just showed me what a great community this is. Uh, in 2008 in San Diego was a big city. I didn't, I wasn't connected to the community like Mm -hmm. I am here. Um, and that was, you know, a lot of really extreme bills and stress and you just had to panic to get people in the door every day. This was different because you couldn't get people in the door. Right. So, um, luckily I had already developed my business to a, a fairly strong point and, um, you know, great relationships with the community and with, with customers, um, who wanted to support me and went out of their way to support me and other businesses too. But I just felt like if I had done that, well, a, if I had just opened the pantry, I don't know that I would have survived. Mm -hmm. And B, had I been in a large city, I don't know that I would have survived. So I, I give it all to this community really. Yeah. No, I think the community here, um, I've talked with lots of people from this community, uh, small businesses, um, and almost, I think all of them, their experience was this community supported the small businesses. Definitely. Um, Like you said, they went out of their way to make sure they stopped in, or not stopped in, (laughs) drove by and did curbside or delivery or um, whatever they had to, to to support the small businesses. That's right. Yeah. It was, it was impressive. I remember I was doing, um, my flatbread pizzas, taking big pizzas, uh, one day and, um, 
I had I had 75 orders for flatbread pizzas in one day and it was just me you know I, <laughs> I had to bring my sister down to help me and um but I mean that's that's huge I could never sell 75 pizzas in my restaurant um because you couldn't do that but take and bakes you know it made it work and yeah. that that many people wanted to support me it was pretty amazing yeah that's awesome yeah and the, the other thing that I've has been a, a um a string through everyone that I talked to that small business is they all had similar stories of like day one, like they were like, everyone shut down, we're closed and everything. And a lot of people are like, of the business owners, you know, tried to stay home for that day. You know, they were like, all right, we're going to lockdown with everyone. And just realizing I can't, like I can't just leave that to die right. like, or just sit out there. Right. Um, and so a lot of them next day were back up and, and figuring out, all right, I'm going to figure this out and talk to people who like were very like scared of like social medias and things like that leading up to it. And we're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure this thing out. Yes, um, absolutely. It, thank goodness for social media, right? Yeah. How else would we have gotten through it? I don't even know. Yeah. But it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Very cool. So um, how did, uh, as you kind of played out the rest of that year, how did that year go for you as it, as, because Stanwood was a little lagging on, like, not, because it was linked to so, uh, Snohomish. Correct. How did that kind of play out? Uh, well, it was challenging. Um, so my restaurant closed. Um, even when we were able to reopen, I had an indoor restaurant. The tables were close together, a tiny spot. So the restaurant never did open during 2020. Okay. Um. And then, uh, you know, it was so chaotic doing the social media. So I would get orders placed via text, via email, via <laughs> Facebook Messenger, via Facebook messaging, via Instagram messaging, you know, on the voice recorder at the phone. And you're trying to keep all this stuff. And is this a double order or not? And, and do I deliver it? Are they picking it up? And so you're doing that. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, you can open your doors. So now, yes. now my doors are open <laughs> and I've still got all these orders and deliveries and things. And I just thought, how am I going to do this? This is insane. And I think a lot of the small businesses worked twice as hard during the lockdown. And I yes. say that in quotes because we never could lock down. We right. worked harder to make the sales that we had to to pay our bills. And then now all of a sudden we're open and now everybody wants to support us, which is great, but we're <laughs> still trying to do the social media thing. And it was very challenging to balance it all. Yeah. 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 No, I, I felt like, um, you know, the whole, I, I don't know if it's a meme, but the, the online social media culture was like, how do you like stay, you know, either productive or entertained at home right. and all this boredom. Yeah. And I was like, my wife and I were like, we wish we were bored. Uh -huh. Yeah, just one day. Yeah. I just wish I could stay home for one day and be bored. But your drive to pay the bills is more important. And, right. you know, keeping your community happy and safe and fulfilled is definitely drives us. Yeah. So as you rolled into 2021, what were you... I mean, I don't know that any of us knew what to expect as we rolled into this year. Right. Um, but how has this year gone then? Uh, I guess it's more unpredictable, just ch challenging in that, okay, you thought now that we're open and now we're getting the vaccine and now things will go back to normal and um, I can open my restaurant again and everything will be normal, but it's it's been far from that. And then yeah. the added challenge of not only dealing with the pandemic, um, then the politics um, of all of that and trying to balance all of that for everybody. Um, and and then the mask and no mask and and it, it's been just challenging, right? Yeah. Then you add to that you can't get employees and you can't get product and in 
January and December, people are telling me, you better place your Christmas orders now or you won't get any. And I'm still trying to recover from last Christmas, right? right? So, yes, it's just been challenging. And I have literally been ordering every day for, well, probably since February um, to get product, to get enough product in my store for this upcoming holiday season. Right. Um, and you're doing your checks and balances as far as, you know, what percentage do you think you're up and what percentage do you think you need to order over last year and trying to right. get the right amount of product in. And the last thing I want, well, there's two last things I want. I don't want empty shelves. And I also um, don't want a bunch of stuff left on the shelf at the end of the year, right? right? So there's a real balance to that. And nobody knows what the magic number is. <laughs> right. I certainly don't. But <laughs> I hope that I've gotten it somewhat figured out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you go to some of the big box stores and they have shelves empty everywhere. Yeah. And I, I won't. You know, I promise my shelves will be full through the end of the year. Yeah. You know, I really, I, I feel like, I feel like I've achieved that, hopefully. Yeah. 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 yeah no, I think that has been, uh, the, this year has definitely been that the challenge, the, the secondary effects of COVID have all hit really hard. Yes. Um, you know, yeah, the, the finding new team members for us, we went through this period where, like, people were going and they gave us notice. but And we had been trying since they gave us notice, because some of them gave us, like, months notice. Uh, and we were trying to bring people on and find people, and we just couldn't find anyone. Right. Um, and then, yeah, the my my buyer, Christy, um, I feel like sometimes she's just going to walk out. <laughs> it's but scary, yeah. It's just so much that she's trying to keep track of. Sure. One invoice splits into like 20 different pieces of things that she has to now track. Yes. And then there's quality control issues, too, yep. because nobody has the amount of employees that they need. Um, it's constant babysitting. Mm. I know I'm on the phone half the day, following up on orders, following up on broken merchandise or merchandise that isn't done properly. and. Um, definitely new challenges this year. And yeah, I have new employees this year also, and they're thinking, wow, I I didn't know Christmas was like this. And I'm like, well, it's not usually, (laughs) you know, this is definitely a different year. So don't base all of your Christmas experiences on this year because it's a complete anomaly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what are some of the, um, menu items and stuff that you offer on, on parlor side? Uh, well, it's, it's changed so much over this whole COVID process. Um, Back when I was open prior to COVID, uh, I did flatbreads, um, warm cheese bites, a lot of charcuterie. I specialize in charcuterie boards, yeah. either to go or to dine in. Um, but I had I had quite a, a good following before COVID. I was open till 8 or 9 at night, and so I had a good nighttime crowd in there, and nice. we were always busy. Um, the restaurant has just opened this year in, I believe, July. Okay. Um, and because now the store is so much busier than it was prior to COVID and the lack of employment, um, I just am not able to be open and cook food and do it all myself. It's just too busy. Right. So, um, now I pretty much just serve cold food, um, mostly charcuterie boards, caprese salad. Um, I have a pretzel, you know, some, some basic food, but enough to keep people happy in the restaurant and having a sip of wine. And then when I just re, um, reset the store two weeks ago and got all the holiday merchandise out, yeah. I shrunk the restaurant then again. And then now I only have two tables in there. But again, with this, with the COVID and the Delta variant yeah. coming back, people don't want to eat inside. They right. don't want to be close to other people. And I totally understand that. So we've repurposed the space. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, again, it's the adaptability side of, of being a business yes. owner. You have to... Um, you know, my dad used to always tell me like business is agnostic. Like you might really like a certain thing or something in the business, but like 
you can never love it so much that like you can't let that go That's and true. move on to something new. So true. Yes. Um, and that was something that yeah, it's definitely stuck with me. It's something I, I think back on a lot. It's like, okay, I know I really like this thing, but how was it doing on a financial and like that? Exactly. Yeah. And listening to your customers. You, yeah. you can't be driven by them. You have your plan and your goals, but listening to them, hearing them and knowing, I mean, you can tell by looking at the deposits every day, right? Right. So yeah, you just have to keep morphing and, and making it work. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with this business, have you been able to, you know, shrink your, your work day from, you know, hundred hours to a little bit less? It's definitely manageable. It's, it's almost perfect right now. We close at five. We'll be open. We're open six days a week going to seven, you know, for the holiday season. Nice. Um, but it's manageable and I feel like I, I might be able to maybe even have a life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe go to dinner and, and enjoy some of the restaurants around here after work sometimes. And yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. And you've also got, um, uh, I've been able to interview quite a few of the people from that downtown area. There's just a lot of neat uh, business owners down there. I mean, there's, uh, it's like almost, I don't know if it's all women owned, but like many of them are. Yes. And we just have a really good camaraderie. You know, we try not to carry the same products as, as much as is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to support one another. I mean, there's, there's always some drama, of course, we're all women and we're all trying, you know, fighting for the same dollar really. Um, but we all carry really unique things. Uh, I think the biggest thing is getting people on Camino that haven't been on that main street for a long time. They still have a, I guess, a preconception in their mind as far as what's on that street. Yeah. But there's so many new shops now and even the ones that have been there for a long time, they have changed too. And, and there's just something for everyone down there. And, I hear all the time people feel like they don't have to go to Smoky Point as much anymore or Mount Vernon anymore. Like, you know, downtown Stanwood has a lot of what you need now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's just a lot more down there than I... Yeah. I mean, growing up, there was... um, Because we moved here in 95. um, So there were... There was, like, the Scandinavian bakery down there and stuff. Right. Um, And then, like, after that went out, like, there's a lot of things that just shut down down there. And so there wasn't a whole lot down there for a long time. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, more recently, like, I've been knowing people that are going down there. um, And when I drive down there, I'm like, oh, look, the the stores are open. And there's there's people going around and walking around. It's great. It's really neat to see. And there's no vacancies right now on on our street. Yeah. Um, On the the other end of town, uh, I think it's about the same. You know, there's some great shops there and people are really working together to promote the city as a whole. Yeah. So uh, it's really neat what's happening. Yeah. No, I definitely feel, I was just talking to someone else about that, that uh, for a while there, Stanwood wasn't necessarily a place that people like went to move to. Um, it was just kind of right. a, you know, especially like with Twin City, like it was just people would move there to work at Twin City right. and stuff. Um, but over the time period, especially over the last like probably five, 10 years, like Stanwood has really like stepped up in a lot of ways. Definitely. Um, it looks much nicer as you're going through town and, yeah. um, you just feel a younger, more like vibrant energy than, For sure. than just being like a, a town. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, so. and you, it's nice to see the younger people moving into this area too, and then coming in and enjoying, uh, what they're finding. Yeah. You know, it is, it's neat to see the change. Yeah. Well, it's nice to have food options and restaurants and Definitely. shops and stuff. Yeah, there wasn't that when we moved here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like you were when, one of the brave ones. Yes, when Higgins moved up, when Higgins opened, we were like all like, wow, there's a, like a real grocery store here and, and the plaza eventually, you know. Yeah. But yeah, for a long time, there wasn't much out here. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so, that'd be rough. Very cool. All right. So, um, you know, I think as business owners, we, we move through big challenges and sometimes it's just we survived it and we move on. 
Um, but I was just curious, what are some of the bigger lessons that you learned through going through? I know we're not completely done with COVID or anything, but what are some things that you've taken away from after going through COVID? Um, again, just being, I think the biggest thing is just being kind and listening to your, your customers. Um, figuring out what will work instead of always complaining about what isn't working. Yes. Um, being adaptable and being willing to try new things until you find what will work Mm -hmm. in a certain time. You know, the times change every, every day is different and we just have to be able to adapt to what the world or our community is telling us. Yeah. And I feel like, um, if you do that, you're, you're going to make it, Yeah. you know, and I, I, I just, it's constant change and constant battle, but, um, I just keep listening. Yeah. Very cool. And then what do you see as the future of Picnic Pantry and Parlor? Oh, you know, I just, I, th- I think more of the same, just constantly trying to find new things. Being that most of my customers are repeat customers, mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of tourism, although there's a good amount of tourism in the summer and those are nice. Yeah. Um, but if you don't change your product line, you've got the same people coming in, they've already purchased, you know, one particular item. They all, they all already have the Fisky, right? Yeah. They want a new Fisky. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's constantly trying to have the important things, but coming up with enough new stuff that every time somebody walks in the door, they're going to find something new. Yeah. And, um, and that's why I spend so much time ordering. It's also why I don't sell things online because I don't carry the same thing over and over again. Right. For me, it's just constantly bringing in something new, um, keep the staples, but um, just always have something new for your regulars. Yeah. Yeah. I think that has been, um, that's definitely been something I've admired a lot about Christy uh, over the years is that, um, yeah, she's, you're selling to the same customer yes. and it's a different mindset than if you're in a city and you just have a stock of like a hundred items that you carry all the same hundred items. Like, right. It's so much, it's, well, it's a lot more difficult, but a very different way to run a retail business than Correct. what you would expect, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I've been in shops in, in tourist towns, Laconer or, or et cetera, and they don't change their inventory. Every time you go in once a year and every year it's the same stuff. Yeah. And they wonder why they're failing, you know, and you just have to, you have to know, again, know your clientele. Yeah. And um, give, them, give them something new. Give them some new eye candy every time they come in. Yeah. yeah. Nice. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most over the last three months? Uh, I think my favorite thing right now is a uh, smart light bulbs. Nice. Yeah, yeah, they're super cool. Like I can change, it, it's fall, and so now my light bulbs are orange. And, you know, if I'm watching a Seahawks game, I can turn them into green or <laughs> Christmas or red by the click of a button. You know, it's just super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is, my friend actually has, uh, got some of them and he had it all hooked up with Alexa. And so like when we're, we went over to watch a movie and he's like, Alexa, dim the lights. And then like, goes, and I was like, oh, that's weird. He's like, it's so much fun. It is so much fun. It is. Yeah. So very cool. All right. Pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would their first day look like here? Oh gosh. I have that a lot. And it, always kind of looks like this. We go to Cama Beach for uh, Cama Cafe for breakfast. Nice. Uh, we do some walking on the trails at the two state parks. I always like to show them the little cabins down at Cama. Um, go to town and shop Main Street, <laughs> you know, both ends of town, support the locals and show them mm-hmm. what we've got there. Um, I always like to go to Sale Brewery for the zombie. Yes. Yeah. Love uh, tapped for um, fish and chips. 
the Camino Commons for the everything Craigle. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a must every time. Um, yeah, and then kind of a quiet night at home in the backyard and maybe a little fire pit. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Well, I don't know if you've interviewed her, but uh, who I think has really done a good job in, in, in this community is uh, Bonnie Eckley yeah. with Camino Center. Yeah. Um, I try to support them as much as possible, and every time I go to a meeting, she's she's just dynamic. She's made some great changes. She's They're flush, you know, and they're yeah. in their finances, and I'm just really proud of what she's done there. Yeah. Um, I'm always surprised by the, um, I guess, level of people that we've been able to, this community has brought into some of the nonprofits and some of the, yes. um, like the, at the, the food bank with Kathy. Yes. Um, and before that Lynn Ayers, yes. um, you know, just the people that have come into these, they're not the people like, I don't know, it's not always true, but I feel in a lot of nonprofits, sometimes they get the. Not the rejects, but just they're not the highest level sure. of people. Whereas in this community, as I talk to these people, I'm like, you could be running like a, you know, you've been like some of them have or like yes. ex-CEOs or like of big companies. And um, and now they're here and they just want to serve the, com- you know, this community. Yeah, so, it's great. It's really neat it's to see. Cool. We're very lucky. Yeah. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Uh <laughs> Well, I would give my 60-year-old self the same advice, and that would be to not sweat the small stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I'm very driven. Um, I'm a perfectionist, so it's really hard not to get stirred up in, in the little things, what people say or do or think about you. Um, but in the big picture, the small stuff just doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's more about family and love and balance and all that. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Tracy Smith for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. That's CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.